It's on this side. Oh, I got okay. it for you. I thought that's what that jack was. There we go. Uh, there we go. Ah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. You probably want to get that pop filter a little closer. Mm-hmm. Are we okay? <laughs> yeah, and Are then you okay? might want to put the mic up. You want to yeah. get pretty close to it when you talk. Okay. Okay, we're in. Can you hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very intimate, right? I feel closer to you than <laughs> I ever have. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Madness Continues podcast. Uh, I, of course, am your host, Brendan Lemon. Everybody knows me and knows my voice by now. You're here from Cora. You're here from Chanel Preston's tweet about our our interview. Uh, you're here from Merritt Landsteiner's interview. You're here to listen to enha- to a handsome man's thoughts. <laughs> you're here to listen to a handsome man's rants. I <laughs> this got is, something to offer. This is uh, it's too funny because um, uh, that that I said that you're here from Merritt. Here today from Merritt is <laughs> Matt Brown. Brown. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. The most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, there we go. Comic writer and international sex symbol. <laughs> I'm here. Thank you. Matt Brown. Uh, Matt Brown, comedian in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I've been doing a lot of comics in Chicago. I feel like a, we've had a bunch of, I mean, which makes sense because I'm a comic because, here. Yeah. You're, you, you're shitting where you eat, Brendan. I'm going to have to ask you to try harder. Well, it's just funny because like this started out not at all as a, as an interview podcast. Mm-hmm. This started out as a me. It was like Bill Burr. I ranted. I'm like, a. am really turning into an old man. I well, how old are you? I'm third. I'm turning thirty-two next weekend. Okay, you've got time. <laughs> it's just so it's it's so weird, Matt. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like the day after you pop out a kid, the old man transformation is going to be complete, and then the hairline's going to be behind you. Oh man, that's that's, that's what's going to finish it. So you've got time now. Use it. Oh man, this is so. I I feel so. Uh, that's going to be. I I hope I keep my hair because my grandfather. I hope you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm bitter, and I need other people to be bald, and I'd like to start with you. You don't, you, why? Why are you bitter? You're not balding. It is going. It are is you go- serious? My hairline is shaped like a U. Take a good look. It's, where it's going. You it's have a going. big forehead, but I feel like you have like a, you're like a guy who has a big forehead. Though. I feel like I'm balding like George Jefferson. I don't think so. And That's very funny, though. It's, it's going. <laughs> it's going. Are you attracted to bald men? I uh, I like guys with shaved heads, uh, but not like skinheads. Like More Jason Statham. Uh, n- uh, no, no. Um, I don't really do white guys. Matt winced when I said that. <laughs> um, well, no, because I'm just thinking of like a guy driving. Like, wait, is it? Wait, is he a golf player? Or does he drive the fast cars in the movies? Uh, he he drives the fast cars in the movies. He's he, uh, he's Jason Statham is in the, the Expendables series. Yeah, I'm out. Um, he was the transporter and the transporter. Okay, I this no. This, Not a big fan of action movies, Matt. No, no, this uh, <laughs> they don't. They, they're not, I don't really think I'm their target demographic. I don't know, man. I My, feel like you might be the target demographic of Black Panther. <laughs> uh, I still haven't gone out to see that, and I'm forty percent their demographic. You, you heard me talk about my DNA results. Oh yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, no, I I'm not. I, when I say shaved head, I mean more like Tay Diggs because I watched a lot of private. Oh practice. man, that's funny. I need like dark skin, shaved head, full time job. Got it. That's or like what I'm into. Uh, maybe. Or like, um, shoot, what's it? Uh, Tay Diggs is a good one, but I was thinking uh, Tyrese from like the late '90s. Tyrese, I don't know that. Tyrese Gibson, really? Nope. This is me showing my age. I I have very like weird like holes in my reference. It's like 1930, and then today, and yeah. Well, you're like tw- you just you're like 20 years old. Yeah, I just turned 20 on the 20th. That's fu- that's so fucking weird, Matt. I, I'm because a very I don't. Young woman. I know, but I don't think about you as a a young woman. <laughs> Because I act like an old motherfucker like yourself. It's a skill and a talent. Oh, my God. That's so funny. 
It's just a uh, so Matt. I encountered you in the Chicago stand-up comedy scene, and you you are a very I think unique comedian. Um, I'm and, something, and it's part of the reason why I think you've been able to have a, quite a bit of success, at least in the stand-up scene, producing a show with the Laugh Factory, mm-hmm. um, being on a lot of shows, um, including uh, the very renowned madness continues podcast oh true this is going on the resume <laughs> and not the comedy resume i mean like when i apply to jobs you're thank you yeah thank <laughs> you just put this down well what's funny is my friend michael tailored so let me f- close the loop on the thing about interviews earlier i had uh, this originally started just as me ranting mm-hmm. and uh i was just going nuts and i still do that sometimes like i'll just sit down and i'll like a guy i have to do, do a long rant soon about the fact that i got on an elevator mm-hmm. and a guy was listening to his phone out loud he had a call on fucking speakerphone in the elevator oh i would have joined the call i would have because since it's everyone's business i want to talk to your girlfriend too let's uh, go <laughs> that's pretty much <laughs> Oh my, that's so fucking rude. It was weird. It was so weird. And it, it was kind of like, and I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I wish I had been, you know, thought faster on my feet. And I, it was almost like I just couldn't believe it was really, ha- like, I was like, I just didn't understand that, wait, are you in an elevator on your phone? And I, like, looked around at the other people and we were all equally like, is this really happening? And it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I need to talk about that on a on a rant podcast. But mm-hmm. but you were talking about how successful and young and beautiful I am, and I think we should return to that. Yeah, we will get to that. Okay. Uh, and how I get booked a lot. I we like will get. About we will get to too. that. Uh, That's one of my favorites. But it's weird because about. like this started with I had Michael Tailored, economist. But I was going to address your thing where you said I'm going to put this on a resume. Michael Tailored, a friend of mine who mm-hmm. we'll have back on the podcast, is uh, running for Michigan State Senate. Awesome. And yeah, and he, I was like, and he he released a book recently, and we had him on the podcast where he just would talk about the book. He was my first guest, mm-hmm. and he's like, we should get back on the podcast. I'll talk about me running for the Michigan State Senate. I'll use it in the campaign. I'll send people to it. You're a part of his PR. Yeah, right. Can, can, can you handle the responsibility? <laughs> oh man, how does, it, I, how does it feel? I was partially like Mike. I really think you're in trouble if you think that this is <laughs> a um, place to go. <laughs> I I want you to just. Not let the fame go to your head. That's what I really He's a, you right now, Brandon. It's so funny, and it really is because I interviewed Chanel Preston. She has like three hundred thousand Twitter followers. She's a lovely woman, whoever she is. She's a porn star. She's a she's a porn star, and she has a podcast called Sex Think, and it's a really interesting podcast hmm. um, where she talks about all recent trends and sort of in um, the socialization of sexuality. I had no idea those people talked. Right? No clue. <laughs> well, it's hard when you got a lot of dicks in your mouth. <laughs> Sorry, I just it, it's a reflex. I might do that again later for no reason. I'll tell you though, she is very lovely. She's a wonderful, she's a wonderful woman, and and had a we had a great talk. And like anyway, doesn't matter. I don't. I, let's get back to you. Another wonderful woman. Thank you. Uh, thank you, <laughs> Matt Brown. I met you doing a comedy around Chicago, and I. It's interesting because how did you you dis you you're starting very young. I started at sixteen. I started. Well, I started writing for uh, myself and for other people at 16. Um, I hosted my high school talent show when I was 17, but I never did like actual like comedy at a club or like at a, like an actual open mic yeah. until I was 18 here in Chicago. Okay, got it. Um, where did you go to high school? I went to high school at Lanfear High School in Springfield, Illinois, class of 2016. Oh my God, that's so funny. You're, you're 2016, man. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I graduated you. high school 
12 years earlier than you did. <laughs> okay, my like my like siblings are your age. You were age. 6 when I graduated from high school. My siblings are your age. So like you Are you really you have it? Are you you the youngest? Yeah, my sisters are going to be 29 in March and uh-huh. my brother's 33. So, so how did you know that you wanted to do this at this uh, when you were that young? I have always said inappropriate things and mm-hmm. I should go somewhere where it's not frowned upon and that would be an open mic or comedy club. Yeah, that's so like, funny. I don't know. Because you know when comedians talk about how like their first three years they just bombed and like it wasn't working? That was like every word that came out of my mouth from like three to 15. Really? That was like my 12 years of I don't know what really? I'm doing. Yeah. But, but what, so why would you feel that you wanted to be irreverent like that? Because uh, I just didn't know what to say so okay, make people laugh. Like it was just like a, like a nervous compulsion I just kept running towards. Oh, got it. So there, there was some sort of like strange social tension that you were experiencing, let's say, as a child. Yeah. That you felt like humor or making a punchline was kind of like the answer to that. Well, if, uh, if people are... Humor is the thing that makes you comfortable that is uncomfortable at the same time. Uh-huh. Because to laugh is to be surprised. To laugh is as a response to a shock. Uh-huh. And um, even if you're uncomfortable making somebody laugh, you're creating a funny situation, mm. makes it better, even though you're still kind of yeah. fucking them a little bit. Well, because there's you're, you're almost like um, you're dispelling sort of the strange level of tension to make everybody comfortable. Somehow. And it also puts you in control. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's interesting. That's an interesting point. Puts you in total control. And as a comedian, I think being in control of the room is one of the most important things. Yeah. It's very interesting. So like you so you wanted to do you were saying this earlier, you wanted to become a preacher, maybe? I wanted to be a minister. Uh, I trained to be an opera singer for seven years. Did you actually train to be an opera singer? Yeah, from 11 to 18. Wow. Um, I trained with two teachers, uh, Penny Miller and Lori Sadoff in Springfield, Illinois. Penny Miller. Mm -hmm. I think she's dead now. I have no idea. She was really old then. It's been (laughs) forever, so I have no clue. But, um, yeah, but I trained with them from, like, 11 to 18, and I quit singing, like, after my senior recital, like, April April of my uh, Why, why did you abandon singing? Because uh, I knew I could never do it as a career because I can't handle the lifestyle. Uh-huh. They have to, like, do residential international travel, and the idea of living in Paris for two months and then being in Russia for three and then taking a month off and having to pay taxes to all these people and having foreign representation and... Oh, get do they get paid? Do me. they get paid well at all? No, uh, no, because you have to front so much of your own everything. Mm. You have to front a lot of your lodging. If you do a concert tour, you're buying your gowns. Uh, you have to front all of your expenses. So yeah. they pay you a lot, but you walk away upper middle class. Not everybody's making Josh Groban money. No one's making Josh Groban money. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like swear to God, at the very very height of like opera, yeah. they make at the very height. This is like three people who make this much money. 20 grand a performance. Wow. And you can't perform more than 30 or 40 times a year. Wow. And then when you kiss away half your money, you don't really walk away with too much. Yeah, yeah. You you're do making. It you love it. You're probably doing. I mean, so even at the top uh, top echelons of of operatic performing, you're probably making 200k a year. Yeah, and the way at you best s- and to which is not nothing money, but that's a that it feels like only a handful of people are making that much money. Everybody else must be doing. I'm walking at, away 60k, exactly. 70k a year at best. And that's living a life that's not nearly as hard and doesn't have nearly as many lifestyle restrictions. Mm, mm. And you're up. You're kind of uprooted, so you're different places all the time. Mm-hmm. You can't really put down 
And yeah. the way that you supplement that is by teaching and by doing like big concert tours in Europe and doing weird stuff that kind of takes less time, but they can pay you a lot for short stuff. Oh, man. But ultimately, there's no money. So you really actually know a lot about that. That's fascinating. I don't believe in doing things you don't do research in. So what was the research you did in stand-up before you went in? Because you moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Chicago mostly to do comedy. College was sort of like a ruse. Yeah. That's what I told my mother I was here for. <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. I'm here for college. <laughs> yeah, sure. My GPA is three point something. Stop asking questions. Yeah. Like, it's whatever. What are you majoring in? Sociology and double minors in Spanish and African American studies. That's interesting. Double yeah. minors and with a major in sociology. What was your, why sociology? I came in as Spanish, but doing comedy, I didn't have time to read all the shit uh, I, I, no it just wasn't gonna happen got it but um soch is it's still like stuff i care about but it's not in a foreign language so i don't have to look at it as hard okay got it and uh it's very helpful with comedy is it really yeah. yes how so um because my school is so research intensive i go to uic um i have to take all these fucking like uh, sociological theory, writing for social sciences, sociological research methods. And we're all still talking about comedians, sociologists, everything you see in every day. Uh-huh. Only I feel like I have a lot more tools in like how to how to observe the stuff I'm seeing, how to see those patterns, how to like create material a lot easier and do it more organized. That's fascinating because I could believe probably that what it sounds like you're saying is like you're able to pay attention to more things socially, mm-hmm. which probably yields more material because mm-hmm. of things that you could then you're sensitive to that you weren't maybe previously. Yeah, I've probably written 45 minutes in the past six months. Have you really? Yeah. That much time? How? What's your writing process? Uh. It's, uh, in sociological terms, it's an inductive research process. Uh, (laughs) Basically, some people, most comedians are deductive. Like, you start with an idea, and you go from there. I'm going to write about dogs. I'm going to write about relationships. I'm going to write about religion. Sure. I just sort of live my life, read a bunch of newspapers and books, and then just let it all come out of my mouth, and then reorganize it later. Got it. And I like to plan maybe, like, at least two but probably three or four different ways that i could do a joke mm. and then i just like get to the fork in the road when i have a mic in my hand and, and try to f- go yeah because whatever it feels like maybe mm-hmm. in the moment I'm so you have a very interesting i would encourage do you have anything up on youtube uh yeah uh, search at matt brown comic and you can find all my hate got it you can find all your hate yes all my hate and vengeance and everything comes out of my mouth oh got it stage. i thought you meant like people were hating on you i was like what the fuck oh i wish <laughs> give me something to do <laughs> I need the attention. Uh, I have to ask you uh, about something else in a minute, yeah. which I'll remember. But are um, you sure? I, man, I just was talking to Gloria about this earlier. I was. I have to constantly, if I'm doing stuff, I have to sometimes go, okay, what was I doing? And then I'll go, oh, yeah, I was making eggs for the breakfast. And I'll go back to doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's while like while there's like a flame going and like you can smell yeah. it and you just forget while you're there. Yeah, but it's like I have so many things that I'm doing in that mo- like I have to multitask. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing hash browns and eggs and bacon and coffee and mm-hmm. and then it's like I have to go. Oh wait, which one of these things would I? Yeah, which yeah. one of these things was I doing right now again? Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's a big tangent. I wanted to talk to you about the new season of Queer Eye. I don't know if you've been watching it. Nope. It, Merritt recommended it. It's oh. amazing. Uh, which is why, so I started watching it. It's fantastic, and we'll talk about it in a second. Okay, because then now I'm just gonna get in trouble because I'm gonna talk about how much I don't like gay people. But yeah, that's fine. That's that's what's gonna be interesting to hear because that's it. that's part of what I interestingly slightly part of what I wanted to talk to you about because not that you hate gay people, but that eh. you are have a very interesting. And this gets back into what I was talking about. I would encourage everybody to check Matt Brown out, but also on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> because you have a very unique stage presence that like. 
there are you know gay comics and four yeah well there's a handful of them one you don't know travis spots who's a friend of mine where does he live uh he lives in chicago but he's kind of more of a michigan-based comic Oh, okay awesome i'll have to look him up he does uh he does uh him and his husband live here and he oh thank god he's married yeah he's married okay. and he uh he's uh, he's one of those midwest gays oh thank god i don't have to suck dick for stage time <laughs> oh thank god he's married god bless it he he's very funny but like he um he's just interesting because it feels like you have a different stage presence than m- many other gay comics who I've who you see in mm-hmm. the scene, and I feel like it's fascinating because it's like you, it's not the center of your personality, so it's not something, and it's not something that you feel any tension over. So it feels like you don't have to talk about it in a way that many other I think gay comics do. Exactly, and it led me to very quickly be like, I really like Matt Brown. Like this is really funny. Thank you. And it and it's almost like it's. It, it there's a part of comedy that comes from attempting to receive social acceptance from others based on something that maybe you are confused about or your you as the comic are insecure over mm-hmm. and many 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 different comedians do it yeah. and um it was just kind of refreshing because I was like, oh, Matt doesn't have to do any of that kind of thing with his identity. And it makes it more fun almost for the entire audience to just be able to join into where your material is going. Matthew Shepard did not get tied and beaten to a fence and killed so that way I could come out and have and throw a fit and act like my life was so hard. Oh, my no. God. <laughs> like, I hate to get morbid on you, but that's really how I feel about it. Yeah. Like, there are people out there that are gay people who have had real fucking problems yeah. because of their identity. Yeah. So what? I didn't have any friends in third grade. No one tried to kill me. I'm fine. Stop bitching. Yeah. Like, it gets better when you decide to stop bitching. Yeah. That's when it gets better. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you are in control of your life. Oh, man, Matt. These are things that I... So here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to hear you, hear, hear you say that. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like... It's not that I feel like... Um, like, I'm a straight white, you know, cisgendered straight white man who... I think cis is such a stupid word. If yeah, we I can agree just with get, you. Why is there a word that defines 99.5% of the population? It's a little bit weird. That's just fucking people. Yeah. I, I, no, I agree. And it's not that I think that... Uh, it's, it's, here's what I think is strange about it, is that it's not that I can believe... So I have a, I have a friend, Jordan Waliba, and she was a trans comedian who, mm-hmm. unf- who died tragically a, uh, a few years ago. And um, it's just a completely weird, she had an um, asthma attack and it was just a totally random, completely bizarre thing that, wow. that, yeah, that she died of, which was very sad. But I can believe, and I had this conversation with her, that her, she has to deal with a lot of other shit that like, you know, I and you don't have to deal with because she tra- transitioned, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I remember talking to her and she's like, dude, my life is really not. She's like, I have to deal with some shit every once in a while. But like, I live in Denver. Like, mm-hmm. I live in Boulder. Like, I don't have to deal with like real heavy. Like, there's real people who have to deal with real heavy actual shit I, coming I after a, them. I have a bit in my act about this and I hate doing it on a podcast, but like, I'll just summarize it to not be yeah. an asshole. I went on a date with a Saudi Arabian guy a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I asked him about what's it like being gay in Saudi Arabia. They can fucking kill you. Yeah, they'll throw you off a building, man. They can can stab you with a knife. They can set you on fire. Or they can throw you off of a building. And the joke is, I don't think they have pronouns there. (laughs) They have bigger fucking problems. I'm not saying Chicago can't handle it. I'm not saying that's like a realistic concern. Sure. But I'm saying 
there is no equality until we all just get to be fucking alive first. So let's start with that. Yeah. And then we can worry about your individual feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and it doesn't mean that I think that people don't have a right to talk about them like on stage or something. Go there. It's just a very strange, this is kind of a very odd and like nuanced conversation because it feels like we live in this world where everything is so completely hyper fraught with any type of like, if you, if you, aren't immediately supportive of, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody else's worldview who deviates a little bit from like the idea of like a, of hetero cis normativity, then like you're the fucking asshole for not supporting them immediately. Yeah. And honestly, and part of me is like, look, I just don't want to hear sometimes a female comic get up and be like, being a woman's weird. And you're like, I don't, is it man? I don't know. When there's like the, I'm a feminist and then they wait for the clap. Yeah. Okay. There's that's, no. What's a premise? I want yeah. to hear the joke. Yeah. I'm at a mic or a club. Let's go. It's exactly the same way that I wouldn't laugh at a guy who gets up and talks about like, well, you know, it's like I got a dick, right? So if and I you're like, you're a fucking a, idiot. If like, I went out on a each stage of these are said, equally ridiculous. If I went out on a stage and said I'm gay and waited for applause, someone should throw something at me. <laughs> It'd be really How funny. Dare to, I? It'd be really funny for to watch you get up on stage and go like, "I'm gay," and then no applause, and you go, "Thank you, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be beautiful. And then I could bow and leave. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that's the thing that's interesting about your stage presence is that it's like you, you wouldn't do that. You would uh, if you did that. First of all, it would be funny because yeah. you would do it sarcastically at the audience. And if they started applauding, you would also chi- you would immediately chide them for applauding you. I tell my audiences not you don't, to clap this when is, they start. I think this is part of the reason I like I like watching you do comedy is because I feel like you you're like I don't want anything I didn't earn up here. Bingo, bingo, <laughs> yeah. bingo, bingo. That is so what it comes down to, dear podcast people. If you could see me wildly gesticulating the yes, you would yeah. understand how yeah. much I felt that. I don't want a damn thing I didn't earn. And if my talent and my work ethic and whatever I bring to the table didn't get it for me, yeah, I don't need it yet. Yeah, and I, I think it. I think it's uh, I I have a lot of respect for that, and I think it comes through s- subtextually. Like mm-hmm. I think that I understand that watching you, and I think that. Probably other people, and it's weird because, you know, I probably I think I I have I'm more sensitive to that maybe maybe than other than normal people because I've done comedy a long time and yeah. I've watched a lot of comedians, but I think normal people also get that from you. But because because you don't have any tension around any of this yourself, it almost frees the audience to be able to laugh at anything you're saying exactly because they don't feel like there's any weird judge they're like if i laugh at this or don't laugh at they don't have to be any certain kind of way because they for you to be okay on stage because they know that if if i'm free they're free it's just like you said and they don't have that like sort of oh well if i don't laugh at this he's gonna kill himself tonight because he's so fragile yeah or you i could see you saying that to the audience though but that would just that would be really funny to just fuck with them okay i'm so gonna write that down and say that and see what happens (laughs) um that's funny um but like if i go up there it's like I said about the comfort thing. We do the uncomfortable thing to make them comfortable. Yeah. And if I go up there tense and scared and nervous about who I am and what I'm doing, what the fuck are they going to do? They're yeah. going to freak out too. Yeah. Groups of people are just like animals. They can smell the fear. They know what's going on. They're they're sensitive to all of that. Well, it's just and you've like got to have something really strong to offer them. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's just like a it's just like a relationship because you you I had a real problem when I was younger 
uh, when I was dating mm-hmm. because I was I was insecure and not okay with like who I was. Mm-hmm. So when I when I ever that whenever seldomly it happened that I had a young woman who was interested in spending any time with me mm-hmm. when I was like in my early twenties or like late teens, uh, and who the fuck am I kidding? I, all the way into my mid, the mid two of them. even later twenties, um, I would ruin the. St- I would I would ruin the potential relationship because I was so insecure that she felt very powerful in relationship to my insecurity. So it was almost like she felt like, okay, if I don't like this guy in the way that it feels like he needs to be liked or appreciated, I'm going to hurt him. And I don't like having suddenly that amount of power. And the audience feels similarly in the sense that if you get up on stage and you're like a weird kind of insecure person, the audience feels very weird because they're like, I don't feel like I can authentically laugh at this mm-hmm. because it's not funny. And even if it is funny, it feels weird because I'm suddenly really powerful and I didn't do anything to to earn that power. I read this in a, a comedy book that I like because, um, like I said, I'm old school. I had old ass parents. I will find a book for everything. Yeah. yeah. And I was going through like my university library. This guy wrote this book in the 70s. But I, the sentence that I remember more than anything was the comedian's job is to portray trustworthiness. Yeah. You have to gain. That's so interesting. I uh, have never heard it put that way before. But the way that I what that I started doing it when I was sixteen, I had two uncles who were doing stand up comedy. Yeah. And they were kind of like mentored me. And the thing that they always were saying was that you have to lead the audience. And the number one thing that leaders can have to their constituents is trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. That they have to trust that you're taking them to a place that's going to be good, mm-hmm. and that you are capable of taking them there. Mm-hmm. And you have to be, and there's a lot of really powerful qualities that come along with that, like honesty, authenticity. You can't lie to the audience, or like if you can't, if you do, it's a greater, it's part of a, it's part of a greater like bit that you're doing or and something. You have to love your position as that leader. Yeah. Because, and this sounds really, really weird, but like only another comedian would understand this. It's not the laugh. It's not the. It's the what I do this for what makes me keep just being so excited to get back on a stage it's the look in the front row's eye where they're like oh yeah when they completely are open and trust that the next thing you're gonna say is gonna make them laugh and they are so open to you and it's just they expect that you are gonna be the thing that makes them happy and takes them to where they want to go yep and they just trust it yeah that openness, it's beautiful, and you only get that if you've really, really done your job and proven yourself to be a trustworthy leader. Yeah, and they're following you. And, it's and inter- to do that in six minutes with drunk people? It's hard. Yeah, it's challenging. It's hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a really challenging task. There was just on uh, James Altucher's podcast, he was just interviewing... Uh, I'm not going to remember her name, I think. Uh, wow, look mm, at you forgetting women's names I and know. their accomplishments and uh, achievements in society. I think it's Allison Duke, although it might be Melissa Duke. But anyway, she's a... Um, David Duke. He- <laughs> that's a reference for everyone who's 48. Yeah, that's um, funny. I got it. See? I can't believe... How do you know that shit, Matt? I didn't have friends. I read a lot of shit. I guess so. <laughs> uh, about David Duke. <laughs> sure. I... Uh, Colts are soothing. Yeah. Um, th- I, the thinking is done for I you. I think most comedians have a weird, uh, uh, like, like, uh, we like Colts and cereal. Yeah. Players. Right. Yeah. There's something about it because they are, cause we're the outsider who can function in public and they're the art- outsider who, who can't. can't. Yeah. And so it's just like there, but for the grace of God go I like, and I, I wish, like I really wish actually that I could, f- if I, f- I wish I could find a cult that mm. I wasn't s- smart enough to know, you know what? This is actually not, 
like this you think you're going to bullshit. church. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> you just want to be that dumb. Yeah. Okay. You know how much better your life would be if you felt like no, all the answers are here. <laughs> like. <laughs> It's, I don't have to figure this out anymore. Yeah, no, it, it, it's like, you know, well, I mean, that kind of exists in Amish communities and like in Hasidic communities. Oh, yeah. Like when you make your world really small. Yeah. It is that small. And, and how many Amish and Hasidic right comedians do you know? So many. <laughs> I, there is something so beautiful about hearing a female wearing a scheidel just really tell you the truth about her husband and her eight kids and the fact that they can't play any games other than Scrabble and Boggle. Oh, it's uh, it's special. It's important. <laughs> I don't know. Is holding a microphone on the Sabbath considered work? I well, is it well? Oh, you'd have to ask somebody else to turn it off at the end of the show. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that's that's the secret. That's the secret. Oh my God, that's funny. <laughs> uh, there were no Jewish people in Springfield. Oh uh, man, <laughs> that's funny. The only reason I'm not anti-Semitic is because of Bette Midler. Oh really? Oh, is she the only reason? No, I, Fran Drescher and Frank Jesus. There are a couple others. Oh my God, Fran but, Drescher! You don't know this, but Gloria and her cousin are huge Fran Drescher fans. Oh, I love Fran. They have every episode of The Nanny. And they watch them all. You know, she wrote a lot of the show. Yeah, with her husband, who turned mm-hmm. out to be gay. Uh, mm-hmm, we're everywhere. <laughs> Take a good look. Uh, it could happen. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. <laughs> so you mm-hmm. okay? So uh, I wanted to get back to what we were talking about for a second, yes. which I totally forgot now that we're on this tangent. It's Who happening cares? again. Who cares? I know, right? Uh, you are uh, not. You don't like most most gay men, though. I, I yeah, I know. I can't. Uh uh-uh. uh. Why? No, non par moi. Um, it's honestly, it really is on a serious note. It's 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 like a trauma response just from like, <laughs> I'm being serious just from like being like ugly and ugly and fat as a little kid uh-huh. and just like the constant rejection in like middle school and like early high school and yeah. stuff. And so it's really that. But like on the bottom level of it and the way that I will express it, it's just like. No one ever needs to tell you where a group of gay men are. You just follow the buzzing sound. Oh my god, that's like, funny. That's that's <laughs> what it is. I just it you, you can't. It's so hard to find like a conversation of substance, uh, values, uh, yeah, uh, idea of a future, a plan. There's not a lot of like um, maybe depth in a lot of there. I mean, there, I there's would not say, a lot uh, about as deep as a Xanax. And I mean, I, I don't can't. know if that's just true for gay men. I think it's maybe just at a different potential tone or wavelength but like that's true of most people i think it's true of most people but it's i think it's specifically true of gay men because childhood for us lasts as long as we want it to because uh, we can never accidentally have kids oh okay all right you could trip and fall into a family tomorrow in a way that i can't yeah that that yeah that's true and most gay men especially i'm hounded i we did yeah. this dna thing mm-hmm. i was terrified at the idea that i was like and i joked about it with gloria who is an alien person because she's fine with she's like yeah. she had kids you're I don't give a shit no. but like I was terrified that I was like I'm gonna get <laughs> I'm gonna do this ancestry DNA mm-hmm. and it's gonna be like bink also turns out by the way you have a kid you never met you know what I thought was gonna happen when I got my 23 and me because it'll show you your DNA relatives yeah I know it's gonna happen if it hasn't happened yet it will one day I'm gonna come back with a 50 percent match we're gonna have the same dad neither of us are gonna know who the hell he is that is what I am waiting for oh my god man <laughs> so then I can connect his baby mama to my baby to my mama who is that guy's baby mama and we can just all be angry and confused together <laughs> we both have no idea who your dad is yeah and we can reach out and touch somebody's hand it'll be beautiful oh my gosh so you uh you're the youngest and you grew up uh you you never this is interesting to me because acceptance or accepting who who you are has never been an issue for you really no yeah but why do you think that's an issue for other people and why wasn't it an issue in your life yeah you think so because other people are weak 
I honestly think that's the difference between this generation's gays and the ones who uh, fucking fought the police with wigs on. Interesting. I think that's the difference. Got it. Because what people don't understand, especially LGBTQIA, HBO Go, Amazon Prime, whatever <laughs> the fuck it is. Yeah. Um, is that when you reject the status quo and when you say you're going to make your own rules... The status quo rejects you and they are angry because you have shown the rule makers that they're useless. Yeah. And so they will reject you twice as hard. And so when you say, fuck off, I'm going to do things that I want my way. Yeah. You've said that you don't need their respect and that you don't need their love and that you don't need their protection and that you're really going to be on your own. Yeah. And so unless you can handle what it means to really go outside the fucking box, be on your own and make every sacrifice it takes to be whatever you are. If you can't do that, go be a fucking accountant, tell your parents you're straight, and act like nothing's wrong because you are not strong enough to handle it. Oh, man. You aren't. I mean, I don't know. Do you think that it's that intense for everybody? I I think that when you are this feminine in a trailer park, it becomes this intense because Ooh, that's how probably true. Sees you. Yeah, that's probably even true. if I don't see myself first as gay because I never fucking have sex and gay guys don't like me. Yeah, it's the first thing that I'm identified as. There's by no way else. that gay men don't like you. I does they hate me? Gay men fucking hate me, Brandon. Why? Because uh, nothing about this is fucking soft and attractive. Nothing about this. I don't believe that for a second. Are you? out of your mind you, you can, guys, they, my audience can decide for for themselves they they can they can google you and youtube you but i i find it difficult to believe that gay men don't nonsense. find you attractive i like i like men in their early 30s with full-time jobs Got and it. they like korean swimmers that weigh 106 pounds okay maybe okay? or Fili- I, oh yeah or filipino uh you know i hear you can buy a bronze medalist from the philippines for 600 dollars on the deep web <laughs> that's what i heard i don't know <laughs> I, maybe you can get a fake ID with it too. Yeah, I'm, we're looking at you, Tim Cox. I mm, it, oh my god, his boyfriend is so nice. I used to yeah. need to go to. Oh my god, I'm the biggest asshole. I no, you're coffee fine. Coffee everywhere. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Oh my god. Uh, point being, Tim Cox didn't buy him. <laughs> Tim Cox did not buy did him. Did not buy him. We happen to have a towel literally right next to See, us. We're in the closet uh, right now, which was- Brendan's in the closet. <laughs> I am who I am. Okay, we're going to talk about that right now. We're recording in my podcasting studio, yes. which is also the closet. Yes. That's There's too a lot funny. Going on here. Yeah, you just leave that. It's fine. I am a mess in a dress, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you, <laughs> Mr. Lemon. You're welcome. Yeah, no, but gay guys. Don't- as soon as you reached out, you were like, hey, Merritt said this was fun. Do you, I, is it cool to do it? I was like, of course, man. Yeah. Like, I, I'm all about sending the email and being told no. You know, just trying <laughs> yeah, and then just waiting not? and seeing what happens. Okay, so let's get back to this. Yes, yes. You were very excited. I could see it in your eyes. Oh, yeah. No, because we were talking about how gay men don't like me. Yes. Well, uh, it's just this thing of, like I said, there's, like, you have to fit into that, like, Korean 106-pound swimmer. Everyone's got to fit into a box. Oh, man. You're a bear. You're an otter. You're a twink. You're this and you're that. Yeah. I like to fucking read. Uh, and I have my own independent thoughts. Got it. And like you're too, know. you're too, uh, you're too much I'm, for them. I'm too much for most people. And um, I, I'm just not into like the, I'm not into the into the gay culture in the way that they are. Got it. I'm into like the 1963 gay culture. Like my boyfriend is 71 out there, wherever he is. <laughs> like I like I want to fucking talk about Charles Nelson Riley and and Auntie Mame and yeah. like fucking the old times, old times. So you don't so the so part of the I don't want to say it's a challenge, but like part of what you don't uh what you part of the challenge. You just don't identify you have it find it difficult I don't to, identify with young gay men. No, yeah, I don't. That's it. I just don't. I don't have I mean, I don't either, so that makes two of us. I, but we're so close. I, 
uh, is now a bad time to tell you I love you? Or I mean, I'm there yet. I knew it. I feel like we're a good half hour into the I podcast. I love you too, I can Matt reveal Brown. things. You're I a very can... sp- you're you're a sp- you're a special man, and you're you're a you're a special gay young man. I. I'm going to ignore the wet spot. I'm going to your jeans and just say thank you. You're welcome. I, it's icky, it's sticky. I'm here and I'm happy. <laughs> thank you. I mean, part of the reason I want to have you on the podcast is I actually really, I really like you and I like your, I like your comedy and I think you're, a, you're, you have a future in comedy. Thank so you. So this is going to be one of these things where I'm like, Matt Brown was on my podcast before he got his Comedy Central special from his. 81 year old boyfriend who owns Viacom. Okay. Oh, I f- oh, <laughs> if I could pull a Chelsea Handler and fuck the guy who owns Comcast, I would be there tomorrow. Um, but, uh, oh, which man. by the way, completely uh, happened and everyone can Google it. I don't care. Oh my God. Um, really? Did swear that, to, that's she how totally, she got on E. She uh, was fucking the guy who owned Comcast for oh, years. Oh man. Um, which is, a I'm, I, you know, and here's the thing. I'm actually kind of jealous of that. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, it's the, it's, and I'm being serious. Uh, uh, this is kind of a divisive opinion. I feel like it's the only advantage women have in this business and it's an awful advantage to have. Yeah. But you can fuck your way to the middle if you want. Yeah. And no one should have to, no one should be asked to. Yeah. And it's never under good situations, but yeah. like, you can, if you're willing to give up that much of yourself. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but like, I'm je- like, like, it's weird to say like the, with the Louis CK thing where you're like. You know, if if I had, if it was like, if I had, all I had to do to get a part on Louis or on a thing, or, or like Tig Notaro, like, I'm sure she didn't have to do anything, but Louis was an executive producer of her show. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, if I, all I had to do was get, you know, that was watch Louis jerk off on his own stomach. I'm I'd just have done it. I'd be like, dude, I'll do that every day. I'm just imagining. That's my four o'clock. I'm just imagining Tig doing the bit from her act after her mastectomy where she takes off her shirt and then Louis is just like jacking off to it. And it's like <laughs> bravery plus piggishness equals comedy. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> but something I wanted to say about stuff you were saying about my stage presence. Yeah, yeah, and go ahead. Stuff, people have been fucking singing shit like that to me since like I've been three months into comedy. And yeah, I yeah. have no idea what to do with that information. Yeah. I don't do this for attention or for any of that like fame type shit yeah i I just want to yell yeah well and i think but i think that that's probably what's so refreshing about it is that you don't have it you don't have a bunch of baggage related to like um, how do i get like i mean like look i you know i'm friends with the guys who are in the comedy you know group in chicago and now in new york who are who are really i mean goal oriented like we need to go i want to succeed and Mm -hmm. here and what's the next step and like I, I, I'm attracted to that kind of like, I'm goal oriented about my act and that's taking care of everything else for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that that makes sense. I mean like, but I, I'm, I, I can see that type of worldview, but the fact that you don't have, you know, there's a lot of camps that comedians fall into, Mm -hmm. I think. And one is this camp of comedy becomes therapeutic only for them. And they're not, they're not trying to get on shows. They don't really care. They, in fact, they don't want to succeed because uh, that would bring up whole new problems in their life that mm-hmm. they're not equipped to solve properly. Mm-hmm. And then there is this other camp of comics of which I'm kind of a member where it's like, what are you going to, what's the next step? What are you going to do? Where do you want to go? What What's the thing? Um, what's the next thing we can do? You know, and yeah. the, let's keep writing. But the writing is like just a process of I'm creating an act, which is a product that I can take mm-hmm. elsewhere. But you don't fall into either of those camps because it feels like your entire act is just about self-expression. Definitely. And, that is almost a relief from both of those areas. So it's and it's not. 
self uh, uh, act that's purely self-expression can be tiring if it's purely about oneself but i try to use i try to be like a sheet of glass and sort of yeah. like move stuff so like i'll talk about me i'll talk about the dates i went on and then i'll yell about how crazy my mom is and the crazy thing that my niece just did yeah and then this wild thing that i just saw on tv that so did you and now we're having this bond over it yeah it's and not it yeah that's the thing places. is it's not it's not masturbatory yeah. it's not it's not just you talking about yourself which is kind of like this it can sometimes fall into like the therapeutic area of comedy mm -hmm. you're like trying to have a connection with the audience through all these different things that you're you're just bringing up yeah because i want to be your friend yeah. with a mic in his hand yeah and so that's why i am so improvisational on a stage and why i i'm sort of what I'm trying to do at this point, because I'm so goddamn early. I've only been doing stand-up a year and a half. I'm just trying to find a way to make like the writing match the personality, match, and everything be as sustainable as possible. Yeah. So that way I can keep doing it. Because I don't feel like being a monologue guy that's got it just locked down, and this is what I'm going to do for three years. Yeah. That's very high stress for someone like me. And yeah. It's not sustainable for me. Yeah. But reading a lot and having a lot in my head and being able to talk about a lot of different things to a lot of different people and just trying to focus who I am to make that as funny as possible, that's sustainable. I mean, that makes total sense. And I think that that seems to be what your stage presence is. How do you, let me ask you this. So what is your process now? Like what is your, what is your process for writing or then for your stage performance? Because I get the okay. feeling that you have different, you have a different writing process and performance process. And those things are two separate Venn diagrams. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, the one thing that I'm very grateful for about training to be a singer for so long is that that sort of like private work ethic of how you prepare shit mm. really transfers here. Yeah. Because I spent so much time alone in like a practice room with like a book and piano. Yeah. That like, and it needed to be right by next week. Yeah. So like the writing process is all verbal, uh -huh. all verbal. I will like open up an email on my phone and then do like speech to text yeah. and then talk out the, what I just saw from that newspaper article. Got it. Or, um, I will record myself talking like I would record a set yeah. or I will just talk to myself like a schizophrenic and then take bullet points down. Yeah. Like, uh, like my brain is the professor and then like my notes are like what I'm trying to remember mm. from the lecture. Mm. And but but I mean that makes sense and mm -hmm. in a lot of ways like it makes sense that a singer or like a you know like an opera singing approach translates actually really well to comedy in this in stand up specifically mm -hmm. because your voice is your that's your whole tool when you're on stage yeah and I already have like that prior knowledge of uh, what speed can do to a phrase and mm. what you know all uh, tempo and loud and fast and, and just sort of how you can put things together and what that will mean yeah I kind of already have that vocabulary in the back of my head as it's tied to music and so bringing it to stuff that I wrote is a lot easier because I don't have to worry about Bellini's not in my way yeah I don't have to <laughs> worry about what Vincenzo <laughs> thought in 1831 I know what I want to say here yeah that's fascinating. And what's interesting is there's not a lot of, I mean, just not in exactly the same way as you described, but there's not a lot of baggage that comedy has historically mm -hmm. that like, you know, I mean, it's a, it's new, a very it's new art, art form. form that's only been around for the past 60, like, 70 yeah, years at, be at best. Yeah. I did a, it's interesting. I wrote a, an article on Quora, Mark which Twain, I, if you want to stretch it, but Mort's all really, I know. Yeah. Well, he went on the uh, whole, I mean, he went on that whole speaking tour, mm -hmm. but even that wasn't comedy stand up exactly. It didn't exist yet. Really. Yeah. It's sort of like in musical terms, we can't really decide, well, what was the first opera? Because when it's a new art form, yeah, it's going to look very different one thing to the next yeah. because of how quickly things are changing See, and that's what's so fascinating is like i would uh encourage if you guys find this interesting and i would ask you to do this too matt is go on Cora and check out i wrote an answer 
to the question, why was um, Jesus? I can't believe I'm forgetting. This is I'm having. How a could you forget your own genius? I know, right? It's fucking ridiculous. I, Greatest stand-up comedian who's ever lived. Who do you think? Oh, um, it it depends what you're looking for. Yeah. Because there are comedians that are. It, it, do you want a writer comic? Do you want someone who's naturally funny? Do you want someone that's going to take no. you on an emotional experience as well? Black it comic. What you want. I grew up in a whorehouse. Uh, I can see his face. I can't remember his name. Senor Richard Pryor. Yes, Richard that Pryor. Guy. The 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 core answer that I <laughs> that I wrote the article about was the question was. Why was Richard Pryor so prolific in stand-up comedy? And I gave as an answer to that question this entire history of stand-up comedy yeah. from like the nineteen, like eighteen nineties, nineteen tens. I would argue that he was. Pro- I would argue that he was prolific. He's very prolific. It was like what four specials? Well, it wasn't just the specials. It was how he changed the nature of what people perceived as stand-up. Okay, then maybe I have a misunderstanding of the word yeah, prolific, because I think of that as volume of material and work put out. Oh, well, I mean, I would... Now, impact, he's incredibly impactful. Yeah, sure. He and George were the ones who made it. He and George and Joan were the ones who made it personal. Yeah. No one was doing that before. Yeah, yeah. They were the ones who took their own personalities just, and said, we're going to... Yeah, that was the thing. And that was the answer to the, the that I wrote, was yeah. I was like, like uh, Richard Pryor wrote material that literally no one else could do. Exactly. And that was like, it was strange because it was like how Charlie Parker had changed the world of jazz. No one else could play Charlie Parker mm-hmm. because he was the only one who could do this. And Richard Pryor was just very sort of similar. I gr- he grew up like literally forty five minutes. I've away had from like my five brain farts on this fucking podcast, man. I'm really I need to go and I need, I need to go to the doctor. I smoked weed before I got here, and I've been talking fine. Yeah, you just, have, and I'm, you've been having references. Fucking David Duke. I, I mean, I'm having a good time. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm I'm having a good time. I'm worried about myself. <laughs> I, Wait, early onset Alzheimer's, normally that doesn't happen until like mid-40s, oh, early It doesn't 50s. run in my family, so... Y- you can be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> you always have that choice. I, hope, you know, I wonder if ancestor DNA is uh, showing any of that. You gotta go to 23andMe for the health one. Oh, shit, You gotta man. give someone else 200 bucks. Why did my mom have to cheap out and get the you know the cheaper one? Because she, you, you were not a planned pregnancy, Brendan. I'm, that's why. <laughs> why. Why are you only finding out now? I don't know. Oh, man. Uh, I was, uh, yeah. Thanks, Matt. That was a real gut punch. (laughs) Oh, like I can hurt your feelings now. You're that emotionally fragile. I mean, you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, any standup comedian's got a thin armor at best. Can't, can't relate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an armadillo over this shit. What were we talking about? We were in the middle of something. We were talking about how, uh, what Pryor and George and Joan did, uh, standup comedy and uh, sort of the newness of the art form. Yeah, but before not, before that, though. And how that, that's not sort of hindered by opera and, like, you know, the history. That's right. Oh, we were talking about your writing and... Uh, oh, yeah, the writing process. Yeah. And so that was sort of the writing thing. I'll just sort of talk to myself and kind of get out bullet points. Your performance process is you just get up and kind of go. Yes. Yeah, so you yes. have an idea maybe before on stage, you're like, I want to talk about these things. I What I normally do, like, before I have a show, what I will do is uh, I will get my bullet points ready for the night. Like yep. uh, just an idea of how much time I'm doing. Like last week I did, I headlined a show uh, that Matt Schenker runs. You should ask, oh, what you're moving not in a while. So yeah. you should ask him if you should do it. Um, I did like half an hour there. And so like I put together my notes yeah. and uh, just like bullet points. It was all just like one page. And then I did my makeup and I called my mom. <laughs> and I smoked a little weed and I got away from it. Yeah. And then I got in the Uber, looked at it again and was ready. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. It's actually Tom Rhodes, uh, the international headliner is a very similar process for his, uh, his, his writing and his mm-hmm. performance. That's very interesting. Okay. Um, we're actually about to run up on time here in a bit. 
but I wanted to ask you, what's next for you, man? What are you doing? What's next for me? Um, I have a bunch of shit booked for the rest of the month and into March. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a, a guest spot at Comedy Bar on February 27th. I'm going to be doing Lincoln Lodge on March 17th nice. and uh, another date in March that I don't remember. Um, because <laughs> there's a lot going on. I'm gonna be at in Aurora on March second. I'm everywhere. Come follow me on at Matt Brown Comic on Twitter and Instagram to come see all my stupidity. Okay, cool, man. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for uh for for joining me here today. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. It's like it's it's very. I can see how a 30 minute performance for you is probably like nothing because you just go. Uh, it doesn't feel like anything afterwards, but I'm very physically tired. Yeah. Afterwards, but yeah, like yeah. In the moment, oh yeah, let's, yeah, you're let's just go. Let's in go. This, yeah, I'm in the zone. Time and talk to people. That's so cool, man. Well, I. I wish you the best, and uh, we'll catch up when I'm back from from New York. Uh, Can't yeah, and we'll we'll see what you're up to then. You'll probably be headlining Zanies or something. Oh, please! I have to be 21 first. They'd have to let me in. That's Let's hilarious. start there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about you as a 20 year old. It's so weird. I don't think about me as alive. So there's there's just a lot. There's a lot. All right, Matt Brown. Uh, thank you for joining us. Meanwhile, everybody, the madness continues. Adios. <laughs>